And we just had a light change up here. Did you notice that? Wow. I love Christmas. Who loves Christmas? Come on. I, you know, I, I know there's the purists out there who are like, no Christmas before Thanksgiving. But I just can't get enough. I can't get enough Christmas. Um, now, Christmas in July may be pushing it a little bit. But I really, really enjoy Christmas. Um, we're starting a series this morning, a Christmas series. We'll take us all, all the way up through the 23rd, Sunday the 23rd. A series entitled Christmas Upside Down. Christmas Upside Down. And you might be going, what on earth does that even mean? We'll get there. We've got five weeks to get there. I'm going to unpack that for us. But before we do that, uh, I've got a little quiz for us today. All right? So we're going to... Like, just wave your right hand up in the air, or your left, doesn't matter. Just wave one of your arms in the air, just to make sure. I just want to make sure your arms work. Okay, good, because sometimes I, I wonder. Because um, we're going to do a quiz today, uh, and, and it's going to be uh, kind of an either-or. What, what do you love about Christmas? And, and I'm going to throw some things out. So, we all have our Christmas preferences, right? Uh, we, we put up our Christmas trees before Thanksgiving, by the way, but we didn't decorate them. So, so I feel like we're safe. There was like, they were just there, the lights were on, they added some nice ambiance, but we didn't decorate them because, you know, because some people get a little funny about that. We have preferences. So here's what I'm going to ask. Colored or white lights? If you're for colored lights, you're all about the colored lights, raise your hand. Come on. All right. So put, and I'm going to assume everyone else is the white lights. Who loves the white lights? All right, I think the white lights kind of edge it out a little bit. We're, we're a white light family. We love the white lights. I've never been into the colors as much. All right, next question. Real or fake tree? If you, if you love the real tree, you were like, it's not Christmas unless I cut down some timber or someone cuts it down for me, right? Okay, and the rest of you are like, I've done with the real. I've got to go fake. I, you know why I love the fake? Pre-lit. Pre- I can't stand stringing lights on a Christmas tree. It is, it's just no for that. Like when the, this kind of thing happened and it's like, you can get a tree with lights? Now, if they came out with a real tree that was pre-lit, I might go back. Um, the, the other thing was the mess. Uh, okay, a little quick story because it's Christmas. So when we lived up in Alaska, we'd gone to our friend's house after Christmas, kind of New Year's, and uh, they'd had a real tree in their house all through November. And and they were like, okay, we're going to take the tree out and, and um, get rid of it. So we're out in the middle of nowhere in Alaska. It's snowing. And we're like, hey, let's burn the tree. So we put the tree, whoa. <laughs> we put the tree in the firing in their backyard. And we add a little lighter fluid just to the base to help it get started. And we lit that thing on fire. It was like a seven-foot tree. And no joke, those flames were shooting 40 feet up in the air. And I thought at that point, I don't want a real tree in my house anymore because that thing catches fire. It was nuts. Anyway, all right, back to, so speaking of trees, how many of you are like, you know, it's got to be a regular tree, and how many of you are like, I love the flocked tree, I love the white. How many are just a regular plain tree? All right, any of the, the messy white flocked tree? Just, okay, just a handful of you, all right. All right, here we go. This is going to really test you. When it comes to Christmas movies, and, I, and some of you are already thinking Die Hard. We're not going down that road. 
Would you rather have a good Hallmark Christmas movie or Elf? All right. Oh, I, some of you just, I just threw you into a quandary. How many of you are like Hallmark movies all day, every day, all the way? Bob, you can raise your hand. No, I'm just. <laughs> and who says Elf? It's not Christmas unless you watch How Christmas Story. How many of you watched Elf on Thanksgiving? Anyone? We did. All right. You guys are awesome. All right. Here we go. Couple, couple more. Turkey or ham? Who says turkey Christmas? Who says ham? All right. Yeah, I'm done with turkey at Thanksgiving. I'm like, bring, bring on the ham or anything other than turkey. I have this theory. I think we do, we brine turkeys and we smoke them and we put cranberry sauce on all to cover up the taste of turkey because it's just gross. I'm sorry. All right. When it comes to opening gifts, one at a time, or just free-for-all? All right, so who, who does one at, one at a time? Okay. And how, who's like, just go for it, just go. All right. We're a one-at-a-time family, and gift-giving in our house can take up to nine hours. We stop for lunch. I'm not even, it's nuts. It's nuts. People think we're out of our minds. And if you get clothes in our house, my wife will make you try them on. You can't, it's not, you can't just open it. You have to go try it on and model it. So, um, yeah, I'm going to throw one in. How many of you are like, you may not open a gift before Christmas morning? And how many are, oh, it's okay to open a couple on Christmas Eve? Who's like purest Christmas morning is it? And how many of you are like, ah, oh, it's good to open a few on Christmas Eve? All right. By the way, how many peekers in the room? You just can't help, right? Yeah. Megan's the same way. I can't put stuff under the tree. She's the one who will peel back a corner to see what's in there. All right, last one. Eggnog or apple cider? Who says eggnog? Oh. Apple cider? Yeah. All right. So apple cider. So we have our preferences when it comes to Christmas. We like what we like. And, and there's this thing about Christmas. It's uh, it's the decorations, it's the trees, it's the music, for the, for the most part. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right? There's some songs you're like, I'm so over it. I'm not going to name any names. You know the song I'm talking about. Uh, the parties, I love getting together. I'm a people person, so the more Christmas parties, the better. White elephant gift exchange, right? You get that, that funky gift that you're like, Really? Um, of course, giving and receiving gifts is, is such a blessing. Uh, shopping, some people actually enjoy the shopping, right? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm the shopper in our house. Megan, if she doesn't have to go into a store ever, she's happy. Um, but I love now Amazon. Come on, somebody. Amazon is, uh, uh, but it's good to support local as well. I've got to say that. The food, and it's hard to talk about food so close after Thanksgiving, but we'll do it anyway. Peppermint bark, right? Or when, when Starbucks sets out their cranberry bliss bars. Yeah, that's, that's good stuff right there. And, uh, you know, cookies and fudge and all of that. And I just love that it's a season, not just a day. I love that Christmas is a season. See, there's something about Christmas that's familiar, um, you know, I, did, I didn't grow up in the U.S., but, but Christmas is one of those things that kind of ties the world together. 
doesn't matter really. There's very few places you go in the world where Christmas isn't celebrated and where there's that sense of festivity and family and fun. And, and, and really, Christmas is somewhat, it's, it's usual, it's predictable. We, we know that after Thanksgiving and we get into the holidays and, and into the Christmas time, there's things that we can anticipate are going to happen. And, and, and like I said, it's comfortable. Um, like, we, got our, we managed to get our house decorated yesterday, and I love walking into our house when the lights are up and the garland is there, and I just, it feels, just feels warm and, and cozy, and it's kind of a big deal, isn't it? Christmas is a big deal. So here's, here's what's kind of funny to me then. You know that there are 31,102 verses in the Bible. It's a lot. 66 books, but 31,102 verses. And out of that 31,102, you know how many verses actually deal with the birth of Jesus? 133. 133. And out of those, about half of those are actually talking about the birth of John not about the birth of Jesus. So, so really about 70 verses total between all of the Gospels that deal with Christmas and the birth of Jesus. Now, I'm, don't, don't get me wrong. I'm, what I'm not saying is that Christmas isn't a big deal or that God, God's not making a big deal out of Christmas. I'm not trying to be a downer. I already established, right? I love Christmas. But I think maybe we're missing something. Maybe there's something in this Christmas festivity that's, that's not there, that's not clicking for us. And I'm not talking about kind of the pat things like put Christ back in Christmas or the real, real reason for the season. And those are good things. We want Christ in Christmas. But I think sometimes we, we get our, our, our preferences mixed up with God's word and with his truth. And, and we can say things like, put Christ back in Christmas, or Jesus is the reason for the season, and not actually know what we're saying. And understand the significance and the depth of why we're saying those things, and what God's heart is in that. See, there's more going on. There's more going on in the midst of the Christmas story than the things that we've come to associate with Christmas. In fact, very little of what we know and love about Christmas and all the things that I've mentioned this morning, which are, are, are great things, very little of them are actually found in the Christmas story, in that first Christmas story. Almost nothing outside of Jesus and the, the, the stable, the, the manger, the wise men and all of that. Outside of that, uh, very little is found in the original story. You see, Jesus was born into one of the most difficult and turbulent times in history. See, the Roman Empire had conquered much of the known world, and they ruled, ruled with an iron fist. In Judea, where Jesus was born, the Caesar, the Caesar Augustus, the, the Roman emperor, em, emperor, had established the, their kingdom, the, the Roman Empire, and he had installed leadership in each of the, the, the areas in the regions. And so we know that Herod was overseeing this area of, uh, of, of the Roman Empire, and, and they were super strategic about it. He would pick people, I, I think he would pick people who, who kind of had a, a complex, 
an inferiority complex because he needed them to be subservient to him and, and to, to rule. And so he would have their Roman troops there and, and, uh, and, and then he would have the Herods and, and those rulers that would oversee those different areas. And, and it, was, it was a difficult time for the Jewish people. Things, life was not easy. And while the Roman Empire was, was really doing well, it was a time of prosperity for the empire, for the people who inhabited those occupied lands. Life was difficult. Life was difficult. And it's in the midst of this that God d- decides to send his son. Into one of the most difficult times in human history, he sends his son. And he doesn't just send his son, he sends him as a baby, a vulnerable tiny baby sent into the midst of a mess. That's upside down. It's not the way that we would do things. It's not the way that we would carry out a plan to save the world. See, and on top of this, God chooses a teenage girl to give birth to this baby. And, and surrounding this teenage girl is scandal because she becomes pregnant, but she's engaged to be married. And Joseph, her fiancé, is not the father of the baby. And now, of course, we know that Mary is with child by the Holy Spirit. It's, it's divine. But Joseph doesn't know that. And so there's a scandal that arises around this, wondering what's going on here. Joseph has these plans to divorce her, and, and there's relational tension there until Gabriel actually steps in and has a conversation. The angel Gabriel has a conversation with Joseph and tells him, listen, everything's okay, and, and this is God's plan, and you're a part of that plan. And, and so he gets on board, but, but that's difficult, There's nothing easy about that. There's nothing familiar about that. There's nothing fun about that. And then right before Mary's due to give birth to Jesus, there says in Scripture that there was a census. And so Joseph had to travel back to his hometown, which is Bethlehem, and he takes Mary with him. Now, here's what we don't know. We don't know why she had to go with him, but but she does. Now, I had the opportunity to go... from Nazareth to Bethlehem, and it's an, it's an arduous journey. It's up through the mountains. You, you gain elevation of about 3,000 feet from down in the valley where Nazareth is up to Bethlehem. It's not an easy journey. My wife, uh, Megan, has had four children. I've got to walk with her through four pregnancies. And traveling with a woman who is nine months pregnant not easy, not easy, let alone being on a donkey. Come on, somebody. That's, right? This is, this is not the kind of trip you want to take when you're at this stage of a pregnancy. Not easy. By the way, Nazareth, the town that they were from, was not a highly regarded town. It was kind of a, a loser town. It was a town that you didn't want to be from. It didn't have a great reputation. In fact, later on in Scripture, when people are talking about Jesus and the fact that he was from Nazareth, the statement is, what good can come from Nazareth? It wasn't, it wasn't a place that everyone looked up to, like, oh, one day I want to live in Nazareth. It was more like, one day I want to get out of Nazareth and be somewhere else, right? And so this is, this is just some of the backstory. They, they, they go... Um, to, to Bethlehem, Caesar Augustus has called for the census. See, because Caesar, considered to be one of the greatest Caesars, liked to keep track of all of his stuff. 
right? It's, it's like the Scrooge, Scrooge McDuck. You ever watch DuckTales, right? And he's like counting his money, right? It, this is Caesar Augustus. He's like, I want to count my stuff. I want to count how many people I have, how much money I have, how much land I have. Uh, I have I, I'm pretty amazing, and I want everyone to know how amazing I am. So let's count it all. And he kept meticulous records of his lands and of his conquests. Of course, they get to Bethlehem. There's no room in the inn. Mary is going into labor. Can you imagine what that was like, riding on that donkey, and she has that first contraction? Oh, oh no. I know when, when Megan was pregnant with Micah, uh, the, day, the day that she went into labor, I went into freak-out mode. Any other dads out there, you're like, you just kind of lost your mind, right? She had a small tr- contraction, and I was like, ah, we got to go to And she's like, calm down. Here's Joseph, his wife or his fiance at, on a donkey, going into labor, no room in the inn, ends up in a stable. We know the story, gives birth to Jesus, lays him in a manger. There's nothing familiar or comfortable or normal about this. Nothing. And then right on the heels of this, the wise men show up. Jesus and Mary and Joseph are staying in Bethlehem. And the wise men come to Herod and and they ask, where is the king of the Jews? This, you know, it's been prophesied that he would be born. We saw his star. Herod, because he has this complex, is threatened by a baby. And so he retaliates. And so Jesus... And Mary and Joseph have to flee to Egypt and become refugees to get away from the danger. See, these were difficult times. And as much as we enjoy Christmas and we enjoy the festivity, the first Christmas didn't look anything like what we have. It was a very different time and a very different, different scenario. So why? Why would God choose to bring Jesus into the world during this time? Why would he do it this way? Wouldn't it have been easier if Jesus just showed up as an adult? If he just showed up as a king, right? He he could have done that. He could have just said, ta-da, I'm here in all of his glory. And we know from scripture that one day he will return and his second coming will not be like the first coming. And it will be glorious, and it will be majestic, and everyone will know, and every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. But his first coming, the first time that he shows up, is not like the second time, and not like it will be. Wouldn't have been easier. Maybe, but there's a deeper reason. And this is why this is Christmas upside down. Because what I want us to do is kind of turn things upside down in our thinking a little bit and move out of the familiar, move out of the things that we, we just love about Christmas. And, and, and that's, again, it's good stuff. But let's not miss the deeper significance of what was going on in Scripture. In the story, in these few verses that we have, this little snapshot. By the way, Matthew and Luke are the only two of the gospel writers who even mention the birth of Jesus. Mark and John just skip right over. They're, they just, right? They're like, we're not going to even spend time talking about it. They just jump into other things and into the ministry of Jesus. So why? 
I want you to turn your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5. We're going to be in Matthew 5, and then we'll take a look at Matthew 20 in a few minutes. See, I believe a few of the clues as to why Jesus came the way he did can be found here in the Sermon on the Mount and in the Beatitudes. See, it's this point where Jesus makes his entrance. It's at this point as he comes and there's a crowd gathered on the hillside and he sees them and he starts to teach them. And he starts making statements about who he is and about his father's kingdom. By the way, in Matthew, there's about 109 verses that deal with the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes. Really, there's more... more content in the Sermon on the Mount and the Beatitudes than there is about the birth of Jesus, if we just strictly talk about his birth. I believe that this, this moment in history when Jesus steps to the forefront and really gives his, is what his, like his campaign speech, let's, let's call it, put it into terms we can understand today. It's like his campaign speech. You know when politicians are like, hey, here's what I'm going to do. If you vote for me, this is what it's going to look like, Right? If I'm your guy, I'm your gal, and if you vote for me, by the end of the year, this is going to happen, and that's going to happen, and there's promise and promise and promise and promise. Right? Jesus, what he is doing is he's establishing himself here in his ministry, and he's introducing his kingdom and his father's kingdom to the world. And so this is his entrance. It's his grand entrance into this world. Here's what he says, starting in verse 3. Of chapter 5. He says, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called children of God. And blessed are those who were persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I'm not going to read all of 109 verses today, but I do want to give you some homework over this Christmas season. Would you take time and read Matthew chapter 5 and 6, would you read the Sermon on the Mount? Would you read the Beatitudes and, and start thinking through these verses, uh, looking at these verses through a Christmas lens? You see, everything that Jesus says here is upside down. And as he continues to speak about the kingdom of heaven, which becomes this major theme, in fact, in the book, I've got a lot of numbers for you this morning, just on a number kick. Matthew refers to the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God 55 times in, the, in, in, in his gospel, more than any of the others. Luke mentions it 44 times. 55 times Matthew mentions the kingdom of heaven. See, Jesus came to point us to his kingdom, to point us to his father, to point us to a different way of living. And, and God's kingdom is not like our kingdom. God's kingdom is not like this world. These things that Jesus is saying are upside down. He goes on to address in the Beatitudes using language like, you've heard it said, but I say, and then addresses, he addresses our witness, 
as followers and believers in God. The testimony of our lives. He talks about the law and legalism. He deals with murder and adultery, taking oaths and taking revenge. He talks about loving your enemies. He deals with pride and prayer, fasting. He, he addresses money. Talks about warring and not warring. He deals with the issue of judging people. Talks about false prophets. And right at the end, he deals with foundations. The person who hears these words and puts them into practice is like a man who built his house on the rock. And Jesus, in one moment, in one sermon, outlines his kingdom and paints a picture that is backwards, that is the reverse, that is upside down, is the reflection of the reality that they were living in in that day and even for us today. You see, Christmas is upside down. Jesus came to turn things right side up. He came to turn things right side up to restore his kingdom and to restore us. See, he does all of this through the lens of kingdom. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. I love God is a, is a master storyteller. Why did Jesus come as a baby? I believe that there's a story, there's a narrative here that makes the gospel and makes his kingdom accessible to us. Uh, I enjoy watching movies. Any, any movie Anyone do like movies on Thanksgiving, that's a tradition, or Christmas Day. I know a lot of like people go out. We saw Ralph Breaks the Internet. It was really fun. Um, you know when you watch a movie trailer and then you go watch the movie and you realize you didn't need to watch the movie, yeah. right? Because you're like, the trailer told the whole story. They just, like they put all the good parts in the trailer and then everything else was just, and you're like, oh, that was such a waste of money. Or, or in my case, I tend now to nap through movies, so it just becomes an expensive nap. Um, or, or you sit in a movie where within five minutes, you know exactly what's going to happen. It's so predictable, right, that you're just like, this, this, that's the bad guy, that's the good guy, this is going to happen. And then the whole movie just like plays out. Anyone like you do that, right? I, I can't stand going to movies like that, with people like that, because they like to tell you what's going to happen as well. Oh, this is what... Just watch the movie. Uh, or in the case of some people, they ask questions. Movie talkers. Any movie talkers in the house? Please, please no. Please no. What's going to happen? Uh, if we watch the big screen with the moving pictures, you probably find out. See, we know this. Great stories build. They, they, they start low and they kind of build up and build up and there might be a a, a climax and an anticlimax, and then there's like, right? And it, and, it, and it takes you on a journey. I believe that God wanted to take us on a journey with him to introduce us and reintroduce us to who he really is, to reintroduce us to his kingdom because we didn't have a frame or a mindset for what his kingdom really looked like. And if Jesus had just showed up as the conquering king, he would have been no different to Caesar Augustus. They knew that. In fact, they were so familiar with it, that's what they wanted. We just want someone who's greater than Caesar Augustus to come in and 
rescue us and make our lives better, familiar, comfortable, easy, predictable. That's, that's what they wanted. They wanted to feel safe, which is not a bad thing. But see, God's kingdom isn't just about being safe. And God's kingdom is definitely not about being familiar or comfortable or settling in. And so God needed to, to, to fashion a story and, and bring a life into this world that we could model our lives after. I can't model my life after a, a conquering king, but, but I know what it's like to be a kid. And I know what it's like to watch a baby grow up. And so Jesus is born as this baby, and, and God starts weaving this narrative and telling this story of who he is. This, this boy who at 12 years old goes to the temple. When his parents can't find him, they're kind of freaking out, right? We lost the Son of God. We're going to be in big trouble, right? And they go back and they find him at the temple teaching at 12 years old. And the, and, and, and the, the teacher's sitting and listening to him, right? And how, how do you be mad at a 12-year-old kid who's in the temple teaching? But Joseph and Mary are like, Jesus, you freaked us out. We're worried about you. And his statement there, I must be about my father's business. And so as he's growing up and growing into adulthood and into manhood, always aware of the, the kingdom of God, of his father's kingdom. But it makes it accessible to us. A baby in a manger is something that's accessible to our hearts and to our souls. So by the time that Jesus gets to the Sermon on the Mount, we're familiar with him. We feel safe with him. We feel like we can trust him. And so he gets up and he shares this mission See, Jesus is introduced in a way that supports and informs the message of his mission and of his kingdom. He's brought to us in a way that's not threatening. See, because God's kingdom is a kingdom of love and of service. It's not a kingdom of lording it over, which we'll talk about in a second. You see, God's kingdom is right side up. His kingdom is right side up. In his kingdom, the emphasis isn't power, it's meekness. In his kingdom, the emphasis is not greed and what I can get, it's charity and what I can give. In his kingdom, it's not about hate and intolerance, it's, it's about love and unconditional love. In his kingdom, it's not about selfishness and what's in it for me, but it's all about servanthood all about servanthood. See, it wouldn't be worth, worth it for, for the people at that time or for us to swap one kingdom for another kingdom just like it. There's no value in that. Jesus was bringing a new kind of kingdom. He wanted to introduce us to something completely different. And so he does it in a different way. Way in Matthew chapter 20, a few pages to the right in your Bible, Jesus is having a conversation with the disciples. Verse 25, it says this Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, 
and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first must be your slave, just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is upside down. A king, God himself, who comes and says to his disciples, I didn't come into this world to be served. I came to serve. I came to serve, and I came to give my life as a ransom. I came to give my life and lay it down for you to to humbly serve you. That's upside down. That's the kingdom of God being evident to us, being shown to us. And there's incredible instruction that he gives them. And he paints that picture. He says, listen, this is the way that the Gentiles and the rulers of this world do it. And we're familiar with this. If you're in power, you use that power to control the people who are under your power. And so we grab for more power. We want power over people. And Jesus says it's not about getting power to make people do what you want them to do. It's about accessing the kingdom of God and his power so you can serve people better. So you can lay your life down for them. The very fact that Jesus came as a vulnerable baby illustrates that for us. The mystery, the paradox behind the fact that Jesus, who was present at creation, part of the Trinity, part of the Godhead, there for all of eternity, chooses in this moment to step out of that eternity and become a vulnerable baby. And he shows us a way and he says, this is the way that we're supposed to live our lives. See, this is his goal for us, that his kingdom would be present in our lives, in our homes, in our marriages, in our parenting, and in our relationships, in our finances, and in every aspect of our lives. See, here's the danger with Christmas, and yeah, I mean danger, is that we can say things well, Jesus, like Jesus is the reason for the season or put the Christ back in Christmas and talk about that for a month and get kind of fired up about those things and live the rest of the year like Jesus doesn't matter, that his kingdom has no bearing on our lives. That's the part that we're missing, that Christmas, Jesus didn't come so that we could have a holiday. Jesus didn't come so that we could decorate. Jesus didn't come so that we could have festivities and eat food. Again, great things to do, but these are not the reason that he came. He came that we would have access to his kingdom, that his kingdom would turn our upside-down kingdom right side up. In the midst of the Sermon on the Mount, we have the Lord's Prayer. And one of the lines in that prayer has just been stuck in my heart, in my mind, where Jesus says, on earth as it is in heaven. On earth as it is in heaven. See, from the moment that sin came into the world in the Garden of Eden, our world has been broken. 
and Jesus ushered in and made a way for his kingdom and his reality and his majesty and his love and his right side up thinking to be reintroduced into an upside down world that's broken and lost. And he says, you, you're comfortable with the brokenness. You're comfortable with the familiarity of what's around you. But I'm going to introduce you to something different. I'm going to show you a better way. His goal is that the kingdom of God would be present on earth as it is in heaven today, right now. That's what's, that's, that's what's accessible to us. That's what he's offered to us. Now we have to take hold of that. So my challenge for us as we go through this series, we're going to look each Sunday, we're going to look at some of the aspects of the Christmas story and, and, and unpack a little bit more how upside down there really was. But, but this morning, my goal is this, and my, my, my challenge to you is this. Through this Christmas season, would you take time to read Matthew chapter 5 and Matthew chapter 6? Would you press in and, and, and through the lens of Christmas say, what does this look like in my life? Am I living as one who, am I worried about things? Am I loving my enemies? Does God's kingdom look like it's evident in my life? Or am I going through the motion? It's not an easy thought to think or conversation to have. But I believe that God wants to challenge our thinking. I believe that he wants to break us out of some of our assumptions and invite us into seeing his kingdom being restored in our lives. This is the real reason for the season. Amen? Amen? You're all witnessing a miracle because I'm done. I'm done. Would you stand with me this morning? And I can say that with conviction this morning because it's not this afternoon. As the worship team comes up, I want to encourage you. I know I, I joke and say hey, I'm giving you homework. Um, don't look at it as homework, but, it, but I do want you, please, take time. Take time to read, and, and we'll send out a reminder via email this week about that. But I believe is as we do the work of pressing in and understanding a little more of God's kingdom, that the upside-down parts of our lives, God can turn right side up. The upside-down parts of our thinking and the ways that we think, that God says, I will restore. Let me, see, let me teach you to see through my lens to understand things through the lens of my kingdom and watch what God can do this year. Father God, we thank you for sending Jesus. Lord, I pray that as we move into this Christmas season, Lord, that we would not just settle into comfortability and familiarity, but God, that we would embrace the fullness of the kingdom of God expressed through a baby laid in a manger. Jesus in that moment of vulnerability and everything that surrounds that story God that you were 
telling us how much you love us. How much you desperately want us to be a part of your story, of your kingdom, of your rule and reign. And so, Lord, I pray through this Christmas time, through this Christmas season, that upside down things would be set right side up. Lord, whether that's thinking, whether that's relationships, whether that's health, Lord, whatever that would be, God, that you would do a mighty work in our lives and in this congregation. On earth, as it is in heaven, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.